Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> he was, he is, and he will forever be. Yes, he is. Oh, my goodness. That's why the adversary works so hard to keep you from the assembly of the saints. That's why he finds every reason for you not to come to church. Because you come to church, God don't speak, God don't show up, God don't minister, and it's going to allow you to, to recalibrate your thinking to focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why worship is warfare. And we thank God so much. Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles. If you're online, stand up with us. Grab your Bible, grab your tablet, whatever it may be. Go me to Philippians chapter 2. We're still in this series. We're in chapter 2. When you get to chapter 2, say amen. You still looking, say I am still looking. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. Philippians 2, 5. says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus what's that name? Jesus what's the name? Jesus every knee will bow those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father hallelujah salvation and honor and glory I want to preach this text. There's so much meat on this biblical bone. I could never scale it right there, but I'm going to swipe at it. <laughs> By the Spirit of the living God. And I want to preach this morning. I want to tag with the title of a question. And the question simply is, how low will you go? How low will you go? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come. And we're so grateful that we can come. You being the God of the universe, allow us to commune and talk to you. Approach you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, have your way in this place, in our hearts, online. I pray against the distractions, the obstacles that are online. And that are also in this house right now. Oh, God, have your way. Oh, God, I pray, God, that at this that God you will fill me with your power that God that the unbelievers may believe that the blind may see that the thirsty may find spiritual water to drink at this hour God let your will be done I pray this prayer in the name of the only Savior there is Jesus the Christ I do pray amen amen and amen you may be seated in the presence of the Lord how low will you go? There is a young lady out of Buffalo, New York, whose parents are from Trinidad. 
And she has the dubious distinction of being known as the world's limbo queen. Anybody know anything about limbo up in here? Do we have any former all-star limbos in here? You know, before your hip got replaced and before your knee got scoped and before the chiropractor had to crack your back. I know we got some folks to do something about limbo here. In the words of Chubby Checkers, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack went under the limbo stick. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Well, she sure did. She, she understood it. I mean, she would do limbo uh, under cars, under fire, under truck. She even went under limbo. She was at the airport waiting for her flight to take off and sitting in the lobby of the airport in the waiting area. She did a limbo under the seat where she was sitting. This sister is bad, y'all. She did a limbo under a pole that was 18 inches. Bad. So when they see her in person, guess what they ask her? Shamika, how low can you go? I thought about that when I read the story and I realized that's not only a question for Shamika, it's also a question for all of us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We too must answer the question, how low will we go? In order to fully experience Jesus Christ, how low will we go? In order to be able to exemplify Christ, how low will we go? In order to access the privilege and the power we have in Christ, how low will we go? In order to rise above mediocrity and moving to maturity in Jesus Christ, how low will we go as believers? Because God, contrary to Shemekha, she may be the queen of low, but I serve a savior named Jesus who's the king of going low. He knew how to go low in humility. And God is telling the church today, and Paul's been talking about the importance of understanding. And in fact, there is no, there is no victory without unity, and there can be no unity without humility. So it requires the people of God to go low. God wants our relationship to be right and be tight, but it requires us, it commands us to have an attitude, a disposition of going low in humility. And we got to answer that question. That's what's on Paul's heart in this passage, this profound passage. Paul has a heart for the church of Philippi. And yet, Paul has an issue with them. Paul sees something. Paul sees that there is some, there's a poison in the pew. There's a stench in the sanctuary. That there is something there that can unravel the whole congregation. There's a kryptonite in the congregation. And what is it? The kryptonite is disunity. All throughout this letter, in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, he's talking about, listen, y'all need to stay together. Stop having quarrels and fighting disagreements. Stay together. He's talking about that whole thing in this whole epistle. And so he comes here in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and he starts realizing the importance of saying, Paul, listen, let me show you what I'm talking about. Paul said, let me give you exhibit A. Let me show you the poster child for humility. And this poster child is Jesus Christ. He said, let me show you what humility 
and unity really looks like. Because maybe y'all don't know what I'm talking about. He says, let me show you what I'm talking about. So he pulls in Christ. He starts talking about Jesus Christ. He says, Christ is the example. And I'm glad that the early church called this passage a hymn. It was a song that was sung among the congregants as their symbol for worship. It was a song, and I'm glad that it is. Because sometimes in your sorrow, you got to have a song. There are times that worship can get you through stuff that you can't get on, through, on your own. And I'm glad it's a song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Every saint of the Most High God, you ought to have a song for some song. You ought to have some song in order to testify about the greatness of God, to remind you just how great and awesome God. You ought to sing some song. I don't care what your voice is like. Use your inside voice. Use your shower voice, your outdoor voice. But sing your song. Proclaim the greatness of God. I understand now why in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they were in jail. But the Bible says about midnight, they were singing out with hymns of praise unto God. And the people were listening. Somebody's always listening when you sing. Because when you sing, it affects the atmosphere. You must learn to sing your song. Sing it long. Sing it high. But sing your song to the glory of God. We come to this text. He says, first of all, I want you to have the same attitude. Some say, let this mind be in you. He's talking about, I want you to have a mental disposition. I want you to have an equivalent mental disposition that's the same one that Christ had. Paul is saying, I want you, first of all, to get your mind right. Because Humility always starts in the mind before it ever shows up in behavior. He said, I want you to get your mind right. Get your, get your mind wrapped around. I want you to capture what Jesus did, that you may be able to emulate what he did. And then from there, in verse 5, he begins this deep descent into talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Look what he does. He says, who although he existed in the form of God. Stop right there. This passage is loaded. In the form of God. Morphe is the word. Morphe. Morphe does not mean a shape or size. It's talking about an inner attribute, the inner quality. He's in the form of God, which means that in fact, he's the same essence, the same deity. He's as much God as God as God. In his, in his essential being, in his attribute, Jesus is fully God. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. He's in the morphe. He's in a form of God. But look what he says. Although he what? He existed. He existed. Now, don't miss that. Because heretics would say, well, there's a time when he didn't exist. That's not true. Because the tense of that verb means that what? It's a present tense verb, which means it already existed. It now exists, and it will continue to exist. So in other words, he's not pointing back to Bethlehem. Paul is saying, let's go back, way back, further than that. Oh my goodness. Further than Bethlehem. Further than Joseph and Mary. Further Zacharias and Elizabeth. Further than Adam and Eve. Further than when there were no sun, star, and the moon. Further than when, in fact, there was, there was darkness throughout the entire earth. 
and everything was, was void. Further than that, he said, go back to whatever starting point you want to point to, and he was even further back than that. That's why Jesus said the Bible in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. As far back as you want to go, he's already there. That's why in John 8, 58, Jesus tells those hypocritical leaders, he said, listen, before Abraham was born, I am. Wherever you want to go back to, there is no starting point. There's no ending point. There's no midpoint. I'm already there. Before creation, already there. For you are ever born or thought of or considered. Already there. He existed and always ceased to exist. He's the second person of Godhead. He's always there. From everlasting to everlasting, he's God. But that's not my OMG moment. My OMG moment is the rest of this. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Some say considered to be robbery. Oh my goodness. Some say what it means that in fact he could never be God. That ain't what it means. That's why you gotta know your Bible, you gotta know your Bible. It means simply that in fact, though he's fully God, he did not hold onto his godness like a robber would who just stole some money. He didn't hold it so tightly. He didn't grip it so tightly. Means that he wasn't prideful. Means that his, his godness did not preclude him from being gracious to us. He didn't grasp it. He didn't hang on to it. He just said, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. That, that even in his godness, he still was cognizant to be gracious to us and to be able, watch this, to be able to help us. God don't need help. He said, I'm going to help you. Oh, that's a good word. He didn't grasp it, though he's fully God. He didn't just hang on to it. He wasn't prideful. He demonstrated servitude and humility, he still gave. What does that mean to us? We got to be people who live as givers and not takers. If this incarnation means anything, it means we must live as givers and not take. And we're going to repair our relationships in this house and in your house online. We must become people who are givers and not takers. Henry and Jim were best of friends. Jim was a man who loved pigs, and Henry knew that. Henry said, Jim, if you had a hundred pigs, would you give me one? Of course I would. You're my friend. Henry said, well, Jim, if you had 20 pigs, would you give me one? I'd give you the shirt off my back. You know that I would. You're my best friend. And say, well, Jim, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? Jim gets hot, starts boiling over, fuming at the face, turning red. Because Henry knew that Jim only had two pigs. <laughs> and it's so amazing how Jim was so willing to give what he didn't have. 
But what he had at his disposal, the pig that he had, he would not give it because selfishness kicked in. And when selfishness kicked in, he couldn't, he couldn't give away his pig. Oh, there's some Jim and Jim that's in this house and in your house right now. And we two are just like that. We two are people always want to give away what we don't have, what we don't possess. But the one pig that we do have, the one ability that we do have, the pig of our talent and our time and our treasure and our training, we won't give that pig away. Because guess what? Our selfishness kicks in. And we get mad and we start fuming because at our core, as people, at our core, at our nature, we are takers and not givers. Say amen. amen. And the root cause of the raggedness in many of our relationships with God and with one another is because at our core, we are people who want to take and we don't want to give. I'll say amen by myself because I can be selfish myself. We take people's trauma and traumatize them even more because we take us. We take people's aspirations, goals, and dreams and discard them because we take and we don't give. We take people's lifestyles. We take people's livelihood. We scheme and scam them out of their stuff because we take us. We'll find, find ourselves all the time. We take people's kindness for a weakness because we are takers. We take people's secrets and post them all over social media because at our core, we are takers and we're not givers. And the Lord's saying, that's not how I roll. You must be a giver and not a taker. But today is a new day, a new day for God to tell all the takers in the house. Today for the glory of God, by the grace of God, you can flip. Today you can flip and start being a giver. We thank God for that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are there any old takers in the house that God has flipped? God has changed your mental disposition. God has changed your heart. And now you're focused on giving and not getting. Well, you ought to give God praise and give God glory because God desires you and desires us to be a people who would be givers and not takers. Thank you, Lord. My, my, my mind thinks about that woman in Mark 14 and that she is. She's got this alabaster box and this, and this very expensive perfume and, and yet she takes it and instead of holding it to herself, she breaks it and pours it out and gives it to Jesus. That poor lad in John chapter 6, Jesus preached one of them long all day sermons and everybody hungry now and all the disciples say, send him home, we don't have enough money for all this. And yet that lad had to give the five loaves and two fish that everybody got to eat because it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. Mary Magdalene, who was delivered from demons, and yet her and those sisters in Luke 8, 1 through 3, those sisters, what? They supported Jesus' ministry out of their private means because they understood that you can't be God's given. Humility, unity. We behave by being givers and not takers. And in so many churches around this land, it is, it is inundated by takers and not givers. You think about the services we have and the things we do in ministry. How much could we get done if we relied on you? 
God is saying today, I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. I've given you experiences. I brought you back from your deathbed. I brought you through cancer and chemo. I brought you through lupus. I brought you through diabetes. I'm bringing you through. I brought you through a cemetery experience. And yet now, I gotta beg you to give. Not your money, but your life. Your priority, your time. Paul is saying, look at Christ. He's our exhibit A. When I talk humility, look at Christ. But he continues his descent down. And look what he says. Now in verse 6, did he didn't grasp it. Verse 7 says he emptied himself. Emptied himself. What? He emptied himself. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that he stopped being God. Because if he ever dislodged divinity from himself, he'd never be God. It's talking about that he didn't use his godness for divine advantage. In other words, when Jesus was on planet Earth in, in flesh and blood, he didn't use all of his omniscience, all of his omnipotence, all of his omnipresence. Jesus walked everywhere. He could have just, just decided, I'm going to be over there and be over there. But he walked. He, he limited himself to one space and time by choice. He chose to do it. But he still had all his powers. That's why we know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, they, when the boys came to get Jesus, Peter himself and his carnal self and sometime acting saved and sometime acting unsaved Walking around there with a pocket knife. And the Bible says he pulls out his blade and cuts off Malchus' ear. Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. Put that blade up. Those that live by the sword shall die by the sword. And then he says this. Do you not think that right now I can, what, appeal to my father? And he won't unleash for me 12 legions of angels? You think this little party here can really handle me? You think that little switchblade from Academy Showtime can save me? You think, Peter, your might? I am God all by myself. And there ain't no troops, there ain't no soldier, there ain't no warrior, there ain't no courtship that could ever overrule me. I could have some angels down here and lick it and split and turn this puppy out. He emptied himself. He chose not to use all that he had. Boy, if we had some of them kind of power, Lord, we'd be slapping folks, taking folks out, making people's cars fly off the freeway. Lord, we had that kind of power. Man, shoot, we'd be dangerous. Imagine, imagine, you ain't got no power now and you dangerous. Imagine you had some real shown up power and you could just speak the word and light come. Just speak the word and 5,000 folks get saved. Just speak the word. I mean, can you imagine that? Oh my goodness. Talking about superheroes. Look what he says. The question is not what did he empty himself of. That's the question among theologians. That ain't even my question. My question is, what did he empty himself into? 
into? If he divested himself, what did he, what did he invest into? It's in the text. It says here, a bond servant, verse 7, a bond servant, a doulos, a slave, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Christ came to earth as a slave. And verse 8 says, a man. What? You mean the God in verse 6 is now a doulos in verse 7? And a man in verse 8? Oh my goodness, there's so much there. Jesus became man without ceasing to be God. But that ain't the shouting for. Here's the shouting for. Jesus became what we are so we can become what he is. Oh! Oh! He did. I'm going to come where you are as you are that you may come where I am as I am. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God where in him, in him we live, move, and have our being in Christ. Whoo, this is deep. I know it's deep, y'all. But y'all can handle deep. And look what he said, a bond servant. Just a common man. Jesus didn't walk around there with a halo on his head. He didn't walk around there with sparks flying out of his fingers and stuff. He didn't walk around there, you know, riding on a hoverboard. He was a common man. Sometimes you ought to pull out your Bible and chronicle the commonness of Christ. You read your Bible? Common man. Born as a common baby. Whoo! Wrapped in common clothes. Placed in a common stable. Raised in a common town. I'm talking about Jesus, y'all. Taught how to be a common carpenter. Taught to common sinners. I'm talking about Jesus, y'all. Oh, yes, he did. Rode into Jerusalem down Main Street on a common donkey. Washed common feet. Cried common tears at Lazarus' grave and over Jerusalem. And he went to a common cross on a common hill called Calvary. I'm trying to tell you, this Savior that we serve, he's a common man. He's a everybody's man. Every, thank God for a common man, which means he gets common us. What a mighty God we serve. He's a common Savior who gives uncommon salvation. We thank God for Jesus. But look what he says. Now did he empty himself he humbled himself. Now stay with the text. 
even to death on the cross. Now, stay for a minute. Paul didn't have to put that in there. But by divine inspiration, he had to put it in there. He highlights death on the cross. What blasphemy. Scandalous. How vile. The Savior on the cross. Jews despise cross. Curses anyone that hangs on a tree. The Romans, they were exempt from it. They wouldn't even crucify their own people. Crosses, crucifixion, were only for the worst of the worst, the scum, for foreigners and slaves. And Jesus, my Savior, your Savior, died on a cross. He wanted to capture the pain, the pathos of this experience on a cross. No lethal injection. No one firing squad. It would have been better for many of them if they just burned him. But no, this Savior had to go to a cross. Calvary's cross, place of crucifixion. Because crosses and crucifixion weren't just about death. They were about humiliation. We wanted to make sure that whatever you did, nobody else ever does. So we're going to strip you buck naked. Hang you up, beat you, whip you, and watch you die. And if you don't die fast enough, we're going to accelerate your death. Bludgeoned, beaten. I know we got pretty gold crosses around our necks and silver crosses, but that ain't the way this cross look. This place is it's covered with blood. It's stink and foul and odorous everywhere. Bugs everywhere. The smell of death, the smell of stench. People hide their faces. From a, from a cruiser, and you got to carry your own cross. And Jesus, the God-man, Jesus from eternity past, Jesus, Mary's son, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus who made light become light, and Jesus who knows every angel, every star by name, Jesus hanging out on a cross for us. So what you got to be arrogant about? What you got to be so prideful for? This Savior humiliated himself that we might live. But when he says even death on a cross, it means that he did not turn back. He could have turned back. He could have turned back when he knew in Luke 9, 51, he knew that he was cross waiting for it. He could have turned back. Garden of Gethsemane could have turned back. But he loved you too much to turn back. And he didn't turn back. What does that mean for us today, preacher? We got to let go of halfway. We got to let go of halfway. Jesus didn't go halfway. He went all the way, even death on the cross. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me right now. He went all the way. This halfway service, this this, this halfway dedication. No, you got to go all the way. He went all the way. And so must you. I read an excerpt from this interview last night about this, this missionary in Indonesia. And, and, and God is blessing their ministry in a very hostile, in a place of their hatred toward the gospel. 
They don't like Jesus. They don't like the Bible. They don't like none of that. And yet God is blessing tremendously. And the question became, why is God doing that so much in Indonesia and not doing it in the U.S.? And the person said this, because in the U.S., you have white picket fence Christianity. Your Christianity is really about safety and security and stability. What you really care about in most Christians in the U.S. is about their children, their cars, and their careers. White picket Christianity. And all you want is stability. You want safety. You want surety. He said, but for us, we're about sacrifice. Even if it meant to lose our lives for the cause of Christ. And God is showing up because we've dedicated ourselves to sacrifice. What is he trying to say? All he's simply saying is this, that halfway won't work. Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, halfway won't work. That's all he's trying to say. It won't work. We must be a people who decide we won't be picket fence Christian. We won't be people who go halfway. We want to go all the way for the cause of Jesus Christ. Even means we would have to die for the Savior. We must go all the way. No more halfway. If you ever are going to be serious about the Savior, you can't go halfway. If you're ever going to be serious about seeing you triumph over your trials, you can't go halfway. If you're ever going to see the Lord be more than bless their house and bless your house, you can't go halfway. You must be willing to go all the way, even in the midst of a yo-yo-like life that we're living in. This world, sometimes this life can be like a yo-yo. Sometimes you're up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And sometimes you're down. And yet you still got to go all the way. When you're up or when you're down, you must go all the way. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you think you're about to get a promotion and they point you to the front door. Because what? Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. Sometime in this life, you're sharing a meal with your family members. And just by the end of the week, you're standing at the cemetery looking down at your family members. Because life is like a yo-yo. Sometimes you're the bell of the ball. Everybody loves you. Everything is nice and right. And sometimes you're at the bottom of the barrel because this life can be like a yo-yo. Anybody know anything about a yo-yo up in here? Up and down and in and around. Sometimes life just like that. But I want to tell you the good news. The good news is, guess what? Even in yo-yos, God will still bless you if you go all the way. Because contrary to popular opinion, there is no crown without a cross. There is no triumph without a trial. And there is no blessing without bleeding. You will bleed in serving the Lord. But we thank God because the Bible says that God does not forget his very own. Jesus died. Oh, yes, he died. But as the song said earlier, but that's not the end of the story. If we stop right there, we might as well all go home and drink gin and die. But that ain't the end of the story. There's more to the story. The story don't end at Calvary. It doesn't end at Joseph's borrowed tomb. It don't end there. There's more to the story. Tell your neighbor, there's more to the story. See, you ain't heard the whole story. And the whole story in verse 9 through 11, he comes along, guess what? 
Now, this Jesus, this Jesus, guess what? This Jesus, who was a man, this Jesus, who was a doulos, this Jesus, who died on a cross, this Jesus, the Bible said what? For this reason, God highly exalted him. Means super exalted him. Isn't that amazing? He did not exalt himself. God exalted him. He had humility, and yet God lifted him up. And not only that, and at the name of Jesus. Oh, I love this. I'm about to shout it by myself. I'm about to catch on fire. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall. There won't be no agnostics or atheists. Not on that day. There is coming a day when the glory of God will be manifested in Jesus Christ. It's a great reversal. Look at the great reversal. He was nobody, now he's something. He was a slave, and now he got a name above all names. He was bowed low, and yet everybody gonna lift him high. It's a great reversal. But God is saying, when you humble yourself, I will lift you up. Oh, you hear me up in here. You, I will, yes he will, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Well, who? Those in heaven, in the heavenly place, could be saints. And those on earth, those that are still living, and those under the earth, everybody is going to gather together, and they're going to give God praise, and they're going to glory, and every tongue will confess. Watch these words, four words, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord. He's as a prophet. He's Lord as our priest. And he's Lord as our potentate. He's Lord as our savior. He's Lord as our intercessor. He's Lord as our sovereign king. He is Lord. You got to understand, they're in a Roman situation. And Caesar is supposed to be Lord. Nero is supposed to be Lord. Tiberius is supposed to be Lord. But no, they ain't Lord because this savior died and whooped death but and walked out with the receipt of a resurrection and can't nobody do that and because of that he say every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess they're going to worship him because that's what you do with a resurrected savior you worship him and you give him praise and you give him glory but wait a minute i'm getting ready to go home you ain't got to wait until that day we can start right here if jesus is lord He's God man, he's sovereign, he rules, he reigns. Then lift up your voice and give him praise. Give him hallelujah. Give him a what a mighty God we serve. Give God, let everything, let everything, let everybody that has breath, give him praise. What a mighty God we serve. How low can you go? Go low, but when you go low, God will take you high. Wish I had a witness up in him. Won't he take you high? Won't he raise you up? Won't he lift you up? God, I praise you. God, I thank you that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, crown him, crown him. Lord of all. He's Lord of all. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his name. Bless his name, bless his name, bless his name. That's why we sing that song every week. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. Ruler. Sovereign King. 
talking to somebody today. The issue